namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhassa udang dhammang sangang namasami So the uh, way that we uh, develop having some kind of intellectual grasp of aspects of the teachings, the way we develop, of course, is through application, direct experience, what it's like to be a human being. And so certainly uh, we can take a huge amount of the intellectual ideas which are all interesting and, and mm. but if you don't apply them you don't get the results and in fact you can take just a handful of ideas and apply them thoroughly and well and get very good results and I generally would recommend that approach uh, because it's uh, really a matter of really chewing and digesting some, some, some stuff you can actually grasp that's pretty you know, comes you can come in terms with, rather than reaching out for more stimulating or speculative notions in terms of dhamma practice. You know, the nature of nibbana, cessation, extinction. What do our hands dream about or not dream about? Um, you know, and the higher attainments. You've got to start with where you're at, and apply. And it's pretty much one of the lovely things I often reflect on in terms of. You know, the very meaning of the word Dhamma is one way we can translate it as nature. You know, of course, nature itself is a questionable topic, but something that's quite nature, or order, you know, or a kind of a a natural order is one way in which we can use the word Dhamma. So that sort of takes it away from that strange, you know, Pali Sanskrit root, Dhamma, you know nature, order, natural order of things and it gives you a real feeling of comfort and coming home, like just to be in a natural sense of order and balance and sanity and and just keep staying there there's something very calming and grounding and centering about that yeah. of course you have to be aware that when we use a word like nature there's human nature, animal nature, plant nature and they all have their own ways of operating. But uh, so, you know, being human nature doesn't mean we've got to behave like dogs or pigs in order to be real. Because, <laughs> you know, the animal realm, the nature of the animal realm is, is pretty, uh, the simple facts of it are uh, fear, um, procreation, food, protection, shelter, you know. And we have that. 
but we also have as human beings a lot more things that are also innately natural for us. And uh, uh, and tuning into those is uh, those kind of fundamental qualities is uh, is an important part of just practice. You know, we're waking up from the human being. We're educating nature. We're coming into a nature and finding out what is really human, you know, innately human, and how does that get developed, educated, encouraged, nourished. Mm. And it's a process, it's a kind of, uh, uh, you can't just suddenly jump from a little sprout to being a fully grown tree in one day, but you put the seed in the soil and you keep looking after it in the right way, uh, it grows. Mm. Often when people plant trees here, they want to plant an eight-foot tree, because the eight-foot tree looks much more impressive. They don't want to plant an 18-inch little stick in the ground. And we say, yeah, but actually, you know, uh, it works better that way because the tree finds itself where it is and it gradually grows up. We have an example here of a couple of trees, ash trees, and one we planted was eight foot tall and we planted it and the other was about two foot tall. Ten, twelve years later, the eight foot tall tree is now ten foot tall and the two-foot tree is now 25 feet tall. <laughs> because it found its way, you know. You can't suddenly, you know, skip the stages. You can't suddenly plant a fully enlightened being, you know. Although we'd like to, and our way of, often the way we uh, think is, I want the best now. I want to be the best, I want to be pure, perfect, clear, concentrated, focused, now hurry up I've been here two weeks already come on you know come up with the goods and it it doesn't happen like that the longer you stay like that the slower it's going to go the longer you stay with that mindset the more painful and slow it's got to be because it's not natural it doesn't grow you've got to plant it uh, so it's not very impressive and there's a very um, uh, a sutta that I often reflect on, I enjoy very much, where the Buddha talks about um, the process of liberation being what he calls a dhammata. Is the word dhammata is a naturalness or a dhammaness. But, you know, we're using the word nature quite carefully, but it's a good way to, to consider it. And often the translation says, you know, it's a natural process. And he, in this sutta, he, um, it's in the numerical discourses. I think it's the book of the tens or elevens. Um, he says, you know, if you want to, um, liberation is a natural process. And he says, uh, for one who um, considers and acts uh, in terms of morality, there's no need to keep pushing and wanting to feel glad. It's a natural thing that that's what will happen. Yeah. That's the way it goes. If you, if you do that, then the natural thing is your mind will be free from remorse. Free from remorse, you'll feel a sense of, of, of gladness. And all these words, they're translations, so there's different ways you could look at that. Some people call it satisfied, self-respect, at ease with yourself, you know. 
This is a natural thing. It happens. You don't have to want to be that way. Yeah. Now, sometimes it's the case we want to feel that way because uh, we've been successful, but it doesn't work. I've made a lot of money. I want to be feel good about myself. Made a lot. It doesn't work. Uh, I've been praised. Sorry, it doesn't work. You know, you get a kind of flush of that, but you don't real feel really happy and contented with self-respect unless you've developed the, the, the sense of morality. It just doesn't work. It's not natural. You, know? you look at how many successful people are contented. And generally they're not. They want, just want more. Yeah. There's always a better and a higher that you can go because you're actually on the wrong vehicle for that. And this craving for a sense of self-respect or self-esteem, you know, tell me, you know, tell me you love me even if you don't mean it. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, because it's not centered, you know. It, but when you come from morality, you're actually focusing on your own intentions and actions and carry through. That's central because, you know, that's what you have some say over, isn't it? Now, I don't have any much say over whether anybody's moral to me. <laughs> you know, they could be abusive, lie, cheat. I don't have a lot of say over that. What I do have some say over is what I could put out. So it's that centering, you see, it immediately starts to center you in what is manageable. And what is not manageable is other people. <laughs> yeah, try it. <laughs> I mean, even your own mind isn't that manageable, but you've got some chance of setting up this thing of, well, you know, okay, I can go crazy, I can get angry, I can get upset, I can get nasty. Yeah, I can do that, but I can do this also. And uh, let's not go into all the stories of the terrible things I've done and what I should have done. Let's go right now what I can do. And just tune into that channel of, you know, what I can, which makes me feel a sense of, Self-respect, you know, I'm being clean, I'm being clear, I'm being straight, yeah, and just keep looking at it because there's often little twists in it or it goes off, but you just keep working with that in terms of your speech, the action. If you really want to take it seriously, in terms of the way you think, if you start to think kind of crabby thoughts about people, this isn't, you know, a, a judgment. It's just a hey, what, what, what's happening? What's the results of that? What does it do to me? And you, you see, you know. And then what is if it, you know, if we think, okay, he's like this, he said that, I think she said that, he probably meant that, but what, you know, what can I do now? You know? So this is really gives us some say, you know, over, over the effects. And morality, you know, we can look at things like the five precepts, uh, that's certainly a part of it. You know, refraining from killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, uh, verbal abuse, intoxication. Uh, you might say even more basic than that is uh, not to do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. Integrity. If you say you're going to do something, you try and follow through on that. And, it, you know... And if you can't do it, you, you're on it. You don't fudge and lie and blame. You say, I can't do this. Mm. You know? So it's that 
sense of real authenticity, uh, fundamental honesty, very, very important. Because at least not lying to yourself, you know, not deceiving yourself. And you realize that even when you acknowledge, hey, I really made a mistake there, at that moment of acknowledgement, if it's clear, there's a sense of brightness. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that was not good. At the moment, of the, that which acknowledges it comes upright. Okay, known, seen, good. Won't do that one again. Learn. Yeah. That's nature. You know, it's, it's a self-organizing principle that depends upon intelligent feedback. Not recrimination, not should be this, should be that. Just intelligent feedback of cause and effect. And so there's a gladdening in that because you can see the possibilities for growth, for strength, for clarity, for self-respect, for making life better. And when you look at moral precepts, they're really not that kind of difficult to understand. (laughs) Sometimes it's difficult to really give them enough you know, importance without becoming moralizing or righteous. But really, you know, it's like um, recollecting every, and then recollecting when the the when we have done that, when we have, you know, been honest, you know, refrained from harmful. Harmful speech is is very very uh, easy. It slips right out when you feel you know, disappointed, upset, or you just want to laugh. You know, you say something kind of stupid or banal or slightly stinging or sarcastic, and you you get a laugh. You know, it's a bit cheap, isn't it, really? It's easy. Because often it's the case that, uh, you know, with speech particularly, being honest about it, it's not very interesting. Generally, we kind of colour it or twist it or take a few bits that are kind of make a kind of nice, strong presentation. If you say, "Well, he's quite good, but got some difficult things, and he means well, but sometimes he gets it wrong," well, it's not very interesting. <laughs> you can say that about everybody, really. Well, no, he's got he's got a funny habit, you know. He's got this funny habit of doing this, that, or the other. Or you know what he said the other day. So we pick on the pieces that have got a bit of juice in them. <laughs> but if you look at the whole picture, you say about a lot of people who say, well, he's some good, he's got some problems, he means well, he does some good things, she's not bad, she gets upset, she's happy, she's good, she's generous, but, you know, in the end, <laughs> say really. <laughs> you know, in terms of assessing other people, but then you look in your own mind and think, Okay, where are the rough patches? Where are the patches I need to put a bit more attention and looking at cause and effect in? So there's a growth there. The Buddha always recognized this. He said, whenever you really see a transgression, this quality of seeing a transgression is called progress because your mind comes out of the trance and you know you're upright and you know you've not got no... Nothing to hide, nothing to defend, nothing to prove. It's just like that. And your mind goes quiet. Mm. There's a gladness.
it's it's funny, you know, because it's not. It's a it's a subtle gland. It's a feeling of dignity, I would say. And to really realize that this is the thing that, you know, isn't so difficult, and to to live in that way is the proper way for a human being. Now I could quite well imagine that, that as certainly in this monastery people do um, take morality seriously and do cultivate precepts and probably don't feel great necessarily a great deal of gladness all the time. <laughs> Partly because we do lose it occasionally, but a lot of the time we don't really reflect on it. We do it and we get worried. Have I done it right? You know, we we because we have uh, quite an extraordinarily refined degree of of moral standards, so we spend you know a lot of time discussing aspects of you know moral training that you probably I mean it's it's very refined. You know, should you if you see a you know we're talking today if you see a bag of money in the monastery, should you pick it up because it's an offence to touch money? But then again, it's also an offence not to pick up a valuable in the monastery. So you can't. We discuss these things in earnest, you know. And uh, so you get this kind of. And you read these books, some wonderful books. But actually, really feeling the quality of it, of just an act of goodness, of an act of non aggression, an act of. <laughs> the simple things. So you can have morality as an incredibly detailed code of things you've got to remember, or you can have it as a simple heart heart sense of, you know, what hiriotopa, sense of caution, conscience, and concern for your own conduct of how you affect other people. How you how you affect other people? Do you know how you affect other people? Do you ask them? You know, sometimes that's really important. We don't know. So this sense of, you know, really doing it quite thoroughly, taking quite simple thing like speech habits, how do, how do they affect you? How do my speech habits affect you? Some of your jokes aren't that funny. You, know? you could say a bit less and listen more. Oh. <laughs> okay. But nature, you know. And then it says, uh, if you, there's also the feeling that having made, that does require effort to, to do that, but you don't do the effort to get glad, you do the effort to get that, that moral sense planted carefully, and then the blooming occurs by itself. So it's not independent of effort, of, of intentionality, but the, the actual result comes by itself. And he says if you take that quality of, of gladness, of self-respect, of dignity, you might call it, you know, an upright sense, and you really reflect on that, abide in that, make much of that, then you feel a sense of what's called piti, which means um, a joyful quality that, it has a, it's even felt in your body. It's not just an idea. It's not it, it, you can feel it. Like you feel refreshed. You feel bright. You feel a certain 
aliveness in you, enthusiasm. So this sense of where, whereby from reflection, which is a process that connects your thinking mind to your reflective mind, you might say, or to your heart. Mm-hmm. How does that feel? And then the quality of gladness connecting it to the bodily sense. This is where we really begin meditation, you know, per se. You know, it can have, you know, various things that we practice we call meditation, but one of them, we won't say the beginning of it might be reflection, which is what I've described. We spend some time just considering, turning things over, you know, until you feel you're at peace with an event or something you said or done, and you're taking that in, and then you move on. And if you don't do that, then in fact your mind doesn't really, it's always struggling, trying to get concentrated. And many people will start meditation with the idea of get concentrated, but actually that comes four or five steps along the road. The first thing is to get reflective, and it, it changes the gearing of your mind. So habitually the, the mind is run by fast-moving thoughts. And to change gear from fast-moving thoughts to something like breathing in and out, which is slow, you do require some gear shifts. You know? And so often people try to knit fast-moving thought to get to mindfulness of breathing, they can't do it because the gear shift is too too quick, too too profound. So you could go through this process. And the thinking mind use it to reflect, come into the heart, and feel as you come into the heart, things will start to slow down, and then you can feel how that feels in your body. Generally, pity is like a certain radiance. Um, you may feel it around your chest. Uh, in your face, uh, more sensitive parts of the body tingle a little bit. Yeah. And you may notice this, for example, depending how sensitive you are. You know, you, you're, you're walking on, you see someone you you know, and you get that flash of recognition, something you lifts, yeah, like that, that kind of pity quality. Um, so you can actually feel it in your body; it picks you up. And so the Buddha says, well, once you, with this, you don't actually have to make a big effort to, to get your body to, to, to feel more comfortable and relaxed. Having, you know, gone through that process, then it's a natural thing that when the body, when the mind is experiencing this quality of piti, the body starts to feel relaxed and at ease. Yeah. Now, you know, often, so this is where we start, if you like, meditation, practicing mindfulness of the body, starting to feel not just the body as what we see, but this interior experience of the body is like an energy system, as nervous energy, you might say, whether you feel tense, speedy, uptight, bruised, twisted, loose, spacious, you know, these senses. Um, which often people don't even know because they're so out of their bodies all the time. You come into it and you can feel, oh my, you know, shoulders need to drop. Yeah. yeah. 
what's happening in my fingers, what's happening in the skin, what's happening, you know, and I might say one's nervous energy. And with pity, that all starts to be refreshed and soothed. Uh, so you bring in the body in. And it's this essential, what to me seems essential over, year, over years of practice, is to get the thinking mind to connect to reflection, to the heart, and then get the heart to connect to the body. As one of the things, if you don't ground the quality of pity in the body, then it tends to just get, we get elated and sort of start to lift off the ground. You know, it tends to be emotionally too exciting. So you want to put that, you know, breathe it into your body. And this is where, in my opinion, mindfulness of breathing is exceptionally useful because it, the breath energy will suffuse the entire body. It takes that quality of piti along with it. You know, breathing in, breathing out. Just feeling the energy of that. And uh, so we, so, and then the Buddha says from this, you don't need to make your mind happy. You don't, you know, you don't need to make your mind at ease. Basically, when your body feels relaxed, and uh, relaxed is perhaps too casual a word, uh, refreshed, um, out of tension, you know, relief, removed from tension or, or blockage, um, then your mind will feel um, happy. Now, if it's not that way, then you probably when you start to consider where where you where you where you feel blocked, you know, kind of stuck, tense. Sometimes people have it in their midriff, in their throats. Uh, you know, these are common places where there's a kind of reflex of of trying to hold. You know, sometimes these are things because we feel uh, powerful emotions that are, you know, or, or defensive. Quite often, bits of the body tense up as a defense system. You know, you're walking around, something you're a bit tight, and you, it may get stuck like that. So you actually start to come into these places and breathe through them. You know, just breathe through them without any trying to get rid of it. Just breathe through it, like you're cooling your soup. <laughs> just breathing through it. Uh, and, uh, and giving it all the time in the world to do that. That's the quality of uh, what um, PT can do. Because yeah. it's not in a hurry. It's all right to be here with it. Till the body relaxes. Till you feel something you go, oh. And that's interesting because almost always the sign of relaxing is like an out-breath. So it does connect you to, to the breathing. Or it can be the, oh. You know, like you can breathe in. You're getting the weight off your back. Hmm? You know how the body, how the breathing is connected to this sense of of a release from con- contracted or, or blocked energies, and 
again why in my opinion Buddha taught mindfulness of breathing is when the it's a sign that the body energy is healthy it's not it's not uh, stressed it's not um, repressed it's not constricted and so your mind will be happy sukha easy at ease So this is really a, a very um, useful thing to remember. You can't make your mind happy. You, know, you can't tell it to feel good. But if it's not, it won't concentrate. It will continually fret and mutter and get busy and try and fix things and give you little lectures and tell you stories yeah. And they've always there's some really good stories. <laughs> you know, there's some really well they're not very good, but they're they're very well written, you know. It's <laughs> <Some> miserable stories. <laughs> because, and they're true in a way, you know. Life is rubbish and we are <laughs> people are this and that and the other terrible things do happen. You know, and it's all true. But, you know, just staying in it, staying in it, staying in it, staying in it is just, you know, like, is it ever going to end? Has it ever ended that way? No. You know? You know, trying to experience ease in a world of dis-ease. In a world of disharmony. You know, a world of unskillful karma, unskillful actions. You know, tell the story of it again. Okay. We're not trying to forget it, but actually for our own welfare, find a place we feel at ease, we can try to address what we can. But uh, you do, one does recognise that, uh, you know, even in addressing, you know, unskillful actions, generally, uh, you know, if you angry and upset it generally makes people defensive and not receptive so but if your mind is at ease and straight and honest you've got a lot more chance of being being heard it's you know it's just the way it is and of course that's uh, you know there's a hell of a lot of things that are wrong So finding this fear where the world doesn't do you down. Where you can find your own place of growth and ease. This is uh, pragmatic. If you're waiting for the world to get right before you're going to be right, you're going to be waiting a long time.
and it's not just right as an idea it's feeling feeling comfortable in yourself that you don't have to keep the defense system going you don't have to feel tight and constricted and blocked uh, so we start to work some of this stuff you know in meditation practice And the Buddha says, it's only, you know, when your mind is at ease, then you don't have to concentrate. The mind just starts to concentrate. This, to me, is really, really important. Because even the word, we're dealing with translations here, even the word concentrate, when applied to samadhi, can give rise to a lot of uh, misperceptions. Because generally... On a, on a worldly level, a mundane level, concentration is something you do when you're doing maths or crossword puzzles. Or you, you screw your head up trying to figure out, get concentrated, you know. And so everything tightens up. Yeah. And tightening up is what we're trying to get out of. <laughs> you know. That's exactly the process the Buddha is saying, you know, you've got to learn to get more relaxed and at ease and feeling refreshed, not get even more tight and twisted and, you know. Uh, then your mind is happy, it starts to settle, compose itself, you know, and enjoy itself and settle into itself. And this is samadhi. You can call it concentration, it's not a bad word. You know, as you call it composure, collectedness, unification, the mind coming into itself and leaving other things behind, because it's no longer fretting or worrying. You have to ram it in there. So I think very important to when because this this word samadhi is is a you know a key term, and it can cause people considerable amounts of grief and despair and frustration. So. It says the happy person's mind naturally concentrates. When it is happy, it goes there. It goes to this samadhana, which the word literally means, you know, bringing together, carrying, pulling things together. And it's the unification of your thinking mind and your emotional sensitivity and your bodily energy. It's those that all comes together and you just feel clear a little bit of thinking, just what's going on here. You feel happy and you feel this bodily sense of ease and relaxation. So that's quite crucial. And this is where the human nature really starts to move from, you might say, the, the world of the senses, you know, of cause and effect and what's happening around us into another level where we really start to uh, see into, uh, profoundly into the working of the mind, seeing cause and effect. He says when you have this sense of undistracted composure, you really start to see where those beginnings of those reflexes are, those reflexes to hold and to, to scamper and to defend and to try and control and to, you know, worry. You see, you really see them. Mm-hmm. It's always a, 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 you know a process whereby 
you know, we thought, I want to be like, like totally chilled. You know, I want to be have a rock, samadhi like a rock. But it, it doesn't happen like that. You get some, and you get a little bit of flurry and agitation, look into that, and, and then it starts to loosen up again, quieten down. Then you get a little bit more, and it quietens down. You get a little more, and you get wound up a bit, and you have to look at that and work with it and feel what's happening in your body and relax and breathe in and take your time, reflect upon it. So you kind of keep moving up and down that, that, that ladder of cause and effect from reflection to, you know, meditation to breath, back to your thinking mind again, considering things. You keep that process going, but it probably occurs more quickly and more like, you don't spend hours pondering things. You just get, oh, wait a minute. Okay, what's happening? And then back in again. You, and you keep that process going and the waves of the mind start to, they still come up, but they come up slower and ease out, and eventually the waves start to level out. Mm. And you, you really, this is what you want to see. You, know? you want to see what, what gets you going, what winds you up. And he says, you know, when, with this kind of um, seeing, then you know you become much more dispassionate about. You know, fundamental things like your, your future, <laughs> who you who you assume yourself to be. You know, what you think you're you're trying to be in your life. You know, which are often not very clear, but there's some sense of you, or what you feel bonded to, places, people, jobs, functions. You're thinking, no, I'm not actually. This <laughs> is something we're doing for a while. Mm. Something that we wear. Yeah. Something we're passing through. And when you, you know, take that as a reflection, when you consider your life from birth to death you know you don't know your death you don't probably can't remember your birth but you get some kind of sense of it where you were at 9 at 10 at 12 at 22 however long it's been you know and you look around that whole presentation of up and down and going crazy and being happy and being sad and being busy and making a fool of yourself and enjoying it and being meeting somebody wonderful and losing it wow what a show. <laughs> you know, and what next? <laughs> so it's not putting it down, but it's just seeing, wow, this is it, isn't it? It's probably the same for everybody. Different different degrees of the same tune. You know, up, down, up, down, up, down. Can you really get that motive, you know, that excited about another up and that despairing about another down? Yes. More of the same. In a sense of dispassion. Who we seem to be is this series of events. And yet, of course, one of the things of our life is we're not. Otherwise, the events would be go the way we wanted them to be, wouldn't they? Most of the time we're kind of thrown along by events or trying to get on top of them. You know, the fact is we're not really the events, but they possess us. 
And that time we, you know, we get wound up by it or enjoy it or believe in it or important. And, and then five years later, you think, where was that? Wow. But it's not like it's all pointless. It's just, you know, handling our event stream with sense of big picture dispassion and yet also attending to the details. You know, this is just something I'm going through, but I am going through it. So listen up carefully to that and act with integrity. It's not like, oh, it's all a show, it's all a dream, it's all over. No, it's all changing. And yet every one of those changes and ups and downs, you don't want to get an emotional reaction to it, but you want to look clearly into cause and effect. You know, is my sense of integrity, honesty, clarity there with that, you know, now, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, there's the big picture and there's the details and they both they both count. We learn from both of them. But you need the big picture to be able to see the details properly. But it's not to just phase out into some big picture either. Mm. So this is that process and you'll always see very fundamental um, uh, processes going on in that. Mm. You know, the Buddha's first realization of awakening was reviewing all his previous lives. When you try reviewing one life and see if you can get through it without flinching. <laughs> Or thinking, oh, jeez, no, <laughs> oh, that was a stupid. <laughs> he did the whole lot. <laughs> and went through the whole lot with a, just, that was the way it was. <laughs> it was like that, you know. Uh, looking at it dispassionately. Not not looking at it, but seeing this and that. And then seeing, hey, there's, there's something in all this. There's cause and effect. Because I did that, that's the result. And that result led to that cause, and that took me, you know, learned from it. And that was his first realization and awakening. So you're taking your life seriously, but not seriously. It's kind of with clarity, but with not a big, heavy judgment. It's just cause and effect, cause and effect. This is how I, you know, how I get stuck, and this is the results, and this is how I come good. And there's the results, and then there's how I lose it, and there's the results. So he said that led to the second realization, which is karma. This is happening for everybody. We're all doing this. Yeah? We're working through their karma. Mm. So there's also compassion with that. Mm. Seeing things with dispassion gives rise to compassion. Third realization, recognizing these very fundamental drives within us, the need to be something, to mean something, to get somewhere, to have it sorted out, to have knowledge, to have, you know, this is, you know, to get your, get your mitts around something, <laughs> spiritual, psychological, emotional, physical, sensual, get your hands on something, you know. You know, in order to have feel you've got somewhere, it's really basic, isn't it? And yet, you look now, 
Where have you got to? Some good? A lot of it's unfinished, isn't it? It's always an unfinished story. And we think, somehow there's a feeling that you could finish it. But you don't. (laughs) It's called rebirth. (laughs) You don't finish it. It's like an endless sweater that you've got unravelling, but it's endless. You think, I'll just pull that out, but it it doesn't. It just goes on and on and on. And you sort some things out, and that's good, but yet there's still an unfinished bit. It doesn't finish. So we see it like that. There's a release from that kind of nagging feeling of incompleteness and, uh, you know, who I am and why haven't I got it sorted now. It, it doesn't do that. It doesn't do that. It doesn't end. The only thing that has to end is the wish that it ends. Then you have just timelessness. You know? And you, you, you start to sense that quality of timeless space, openness. What do you say about it? Hmm? And you get less engrossed in that kind of relief from that leaning into this endless story. I know that that theme, we can take out the theme of when I'm going to become enlightened, and you ne- and it doesn't, you don't get enlightened. Um, <laughs> you know, when I'm going to get my life, it doesn't get together. You know, from that place, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It happens through, see- but it doesn't happen without that. It happens through seeing that clearly. From that place of composure and collectiveness, so you're seeing it not just as an idea, but as something that's really felt in a very full, full, clear, composed way. And that it always gives the mind or the center shifts from that endless story to that which is never told, that which can't be told taught, expressed by anybody even the Buddha and it doesn't need you say if you see the story right clearly if you do this there's no need to make a further effort the mind will realise this is what I'm teaching you it says I don't teach you get there I teach you see this allow it to happen take it in deeply allow the process to happen because one aspect of that process is the release from trying the release from volition it's not volitional so you know, that's why it's supremely peaceful and we don't get there through volition but we don't get there without but that volition has to follow the way of nature setting up integrity connecting to your body, taking the time, 
patient, reviewing, remembering, recollecting, meditating, taking it, you know, all that. And every and then as that fulfills, then earlier intentions fall away. It's like, you know, when you take a little acorn and you grow an oak out of it, then first of all that shell drops off and the, the green stuff comes up and the leaves drop off and it grows bigger and the early branches fall away. They're no longer needed. And it grows towards the light. You don't have to tell a tree which way to grow. <laughs> you know. And it, it, it kind of drops off. It's earlier stuff it doesn't need anymore. And this is something that, uh, again, you can start to kind of consider where, you know, when you realize, hey, I don't need restraint in terms of, actually, I have no violence left. I have no, no substance addiction left. It doesn't happen for me. To feel glad with that. That's fallen away. Those, those things have fallen away. So every step, we can take the sense of uh, appreciation and refreshment and enjoying the process of nature. Uh, so it's certainly uh, natural or, or normal, we might say, for us to feel some of those the thorns and the snags and the torn patches and the places where we're hooked. Um, but you don't get through those hooks by pulling and pushing and snag. You just get more and more tangled in it. You've got to come back to where your growth really can occur and it will grow through that. This is nature. Anyone?